Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome to episode 36 of the Snyder Cut. I'm 36. This is episode 36. It's the only time that this is probably going to happen. Um, guys, where do we start with? I was off last week. We took a week off out of respect uh, for everything that's been going on in the, in the country, particularly uh, with regard to the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, which I, you know, I felt was super important, uh, really got behind the statement that Collider put out. Um, and just seeing the stuff got on social media the last week or two, it's, it's just crazy out there. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm trying not to, to get, I don't want to get too political on this, uh, podcast here, but you know, now I agree now is not the time to, to be silent. Um, and it's just really sad to see, I guess, you know, I could say what's happening in this country, but I know someone would correct me and say this, you know, this isn't like a new thing. This has been going on for a long time. And so, uh, you know, I think, Drastic change is needed, and it's nice to see people all over the country, all over the world, really, protesting and, and doing what it takes to affect that change. Um, and well, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about, you know, all kinds of various things as, as they come up uh, later in the episode. But let's start with sort of the big thing I felt like in the last two weeks, which is really the Bill and Ted trailer. The Bill and Ted face the music trailer. I mean, there are certain things that, that the internet loves and it whips them up into a frenzy. And I, I really am a big fan of, of Bill and Ted. Uh, I grew up on those movies, loved excellent adventure, loved bogus journey. Like that, that a bogus journey could be in the conversation for like one of the top 10 sequels of all time. Um, because there's really not much drop in quality from the original, but I got to say this Bill and Ted face the music movie does not look good. It looks like a very cheap, just tossed off sort of thing. Um, I know it has, you know, the director of Galaxy Quest and Ed Solomon wrote the script. Like there's real pedigree behind this thing, but I was not encouraged by that trailer at all. I felt like Keanu was just too old to be doing this. Like, you know, it, it was cute uh, back in the early nineties, but like we, we just, we know too much about Keanu now. We know he, unfortunately, I mean, I, you know, I, I know the guy's range, but most people see him and just think, oh, that's John Wick. And I don't know how that is going to affect uh, the way people look at Bill and Ted, um, which, by the way, seems like a perfect VOD rental. I can't believe that this thing is actually going to go to theaters and that people would, would turn out for it. I'll tell you what I liked from the trailer. I liked the scene where they're in jail and they're like all muscled up. Like, you know, you could barely recognize uh, Alex Winter and, um, but but yeah, the rest of this stuff, I'm nervous. I am just very nervous. And even like writing about, you know, there's a George Carlin documentary in the works that we're going to talk about in a bit, you know, comparing his Rufus to whatever was going on uh, in, in that trailer. I'm, I'm just, I'm not hopeful. People were, were like super excited. I was like, this looks bad. And I hate to be the party pooper. I mean, I guess that's, that's sort of what I'm known for. I felt like Jeff Wells, but uh, I think Wells was right on this one. Like, I'm not, I'm not encouraged by that trailer at all. There were also trailers this week for uh, Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. 
that's going to be a, a disposable, you know, Friday night watch, Sunday, lazy Sunday afternoon watch. But that's not going to be very good either. I'm sorry. It's, it, it's, it's a weak lineup we got here. You should have left the Kevin Bacon, Amanda Seafried one. That looked a little bit better than I was expecting. I'm so sick of the, the, the you know, the, the house is alive, the house is haunted sort of thing. The house has a mind of its own. I hope they kept, you know, he's a good writer and I, I like, you know, like I like Stir of Echoes. I like uh, some of his stuff. So I, so I hope that he comes up with a, a fun way to turn that genre on its head. We got, uh, all right, trailers for Mope, which I, which I saw, which is like one of the craziest movies of the year. This is about the, the uh, aspiring porn star, Steve Driver, who, who attacked his coworkers with a samurai sword. Within two minutes of, of watching this movie, uh, I turned to, to Stephanie and, and was just like, you know, I, I know why this thing did not get a distribution deal after the, the strong reviews out of Sundance. Like, who in their right mind would put that thing in theaters? It is a wild ride, very graphic, funny. Like, there's a good sense of humor in it, good energy. I like the filmmaking from uh, from Lucas Hayne. But yeah, you can totally see why this thing is, uh, you know, bound straight for VOD. It's not a theatrical release. Too, a little too risque, a little raunchy. There was a trailer for The Outpost that came out recently. That's Rod Lurie's new war movie with Scott Eastwood and Caleb Landry Jones and Orlando Bloom. I'm looking forward to this one. I've heard good things. Some some reviews have been trickling, trickling out as uh, you know Rod tries to get the word out. I think I've got a screener waiting for me in my box. I want to scout it because uh, my, Mel Gibson's young son is in it and, and Richard Attenborough's kid is in it. And so, you know, they, they, these guys might be good for up and comer of the month. So I'm looking forward to checking out the outpost. I think I've got screeners for I'll Be Gone in the Dark waiting for me. That's the new HBO docu, uh, docu-series about the late crime writer Michelle McNamara, who was married to Patton Oswalt. And, you know, she, she was just staying up late every night reading all these crime blogs, trying to track down the Golden State Killer, who was a serial killer I wasn't even terribly familiar with. But like, you know, the research, it, t- it takes a toll on you and, you know, it'd keep her up late at night, uh, give her nightmares. And so she turned to prescription drugs to try to quell those anxieties. And yeah, she just, she, she over, she accidentally overdosed one night and, and, and did not wake up. And uh, so two of her uh, fellow sleuthers had to finish the book. And now then, then the book led to like, you know, bring the actual Golden State Killer to justice. He was like an ex-police officer. I cannot wait to see this HBO series. I, I meant to start it last night. I mean, I'm sure we're under embargo anyway, so I wouldn't be able to talk about it. But uh, I cannot wait to dive into those screeners this weekend because that is sort of the next major TV docuseries for me, having finished Outcry on Showtime, which was excellent. Um, God, Artemis Fowl, I think, is coming out soon. I don't know if it's this weekend or next, but uh, I've heard terrible things. I didn't see it myself. I have no interest in seeing it. I wasn't going to see it anyways. Uh, but yeah, oof, sounds brutal. I watched a bunch of movies this week, uh, I, or, you know, in the last two weeks, really. I don't know what I've talked about, what I haven't talked about. I, you know, I, I updated our best VOD movies right that are out right now, that like utility that we're going to be updating on Collider. Um, so if you ever like are wondering what to watch, just Google Collider best, best movies on demand right now, and you'll get my recommendations. I watched Body Cam, which I thought, was, this was like right after the, the George Floyd murder, and it was like alarming. Like I had no idea really what Body Cam was about, and it turns out it's about some, some cops doing some shady shit and paying the price. And I think like strangely, 
that, you know, maybe it's the timeliness, but it worked for me. You know, I don't think like Mary J. Blige or Nat Wolf are like, great or anything, but it was a, uh, a well-directed little low-budget thriller for, from uh, Malik Vital for, uh, for Paramount Players. So if you're a genre fan, that's worth checking out. The Trip to Greece, I took that one. I love the trip movies. I thought this was, I was, you know, pleasantly surprised by this denouement, if you will. You know, the, the, the back and forth between Steve and Rob, it's still good. It's still funny, but it is a little played out. It's, I've seen it before. So I like some of the new elements that this uh, last film added to the mix to make it a little bit more dramatic. Um... Yeah, if you're a fan of that franchise, you, you got to see the ending. The Lovebirds, that was a real disappointment uh, from Michael Showalter over on Netflix with uh, Kumail Nanjiani and, and Issa Rae. Again, they had decent chemistry, and there were elements of, of the movie that I liked, but I just don't think it added up to much. It was just kind of a very forgettable Netflix movie. Uh, Wasp Network, I think, finally comes out tomorrow. I think I'm allowed to talk about that one. That was another disappointing movie with uh, Edgar Ramirez and, and Wagner Moore, Ana de Armas, like, has a really good um, Latin cast, and Olivier Assayas directing, but the movie was just, it was just so, like, unfocused. I, I, it wasn't exciting for a movie that's, uh, you know, supposedly about Cuban spies. Uh, yeah, that, that just did not do much for me. It was better, however, than the other Edgar Ramirez movie I saw recently which is the last days of american crime what was going on with this one by the way another olivier so i guess he worked with back-to-back olivier's olivier megaton directed this one it's based on the graphic novel from radical publishing i don't i don't know i was holding out hope for this one with edgar and, and michael pitt and charlotte copley but man as soon as i saw the running time i knew it was going to be problematic this movie is two and a half hours like what is the point like if you're a producer, how do you even allow this to happen? Like you're making a friggin' graphic novel adaptation. You don't need to be two and a half hours. Like make some cuts, hire another editor. How do Netflix executives let something like the last days of American crime happen? Like, do they do, do Netflix executives, do they do anything? Do they offer notes at all? Or is that, is that the beauty of the Netflix way? So they just leave you alone to go make your movie? Listen, it, it, this, these are the results. Zero percent fresh. I know the movie was like number five in the U.S. last weekend. And that's because it's a new movie with, with some stars. And, you know, it's based on not maybe not a well-known IP, but an IP all the same. Zero percent fresh. They're, they're, I cannot imagine a critic walking away from that movie being like, job well done, boys. Whew. And two and a half hours. Like, I've seen worse movies, but were they two and a half hours? No. Run, Sweetheart, Run, for example, is not two and a half hours. Um, another movie that, you know, I, I don't want to damn it, but The Vast of Night. This, I, I was greatly impressed by the cinematography, really liked the score. So there's, again, elements of this movie that I was a big fan of. But as you know, as fans of the Snyder Cut know, I'm a fan of story. And this movie had no, it had nothing. It's raining outside now. Now it's pouring. Great. There was no, like, the story of the Vast of Night, people are calling it like, a, it's like a Twilight Zone episode. Like, there's no payoff to this movie. And the performances, it's just like reams and reams of dialogue, people talking, but they're not saying anything. I did not care for the old-fashioned performances. Didn't care for the story. It just wasn't involving at all. 
this was one of those movies where the second the end credits hit, I'm out of the theater within 10 seconds. Couldn't, couldn't wait to get out of there. And again, I admire what they accomplished on a low budget. I was really looking forward to this. And I agree with some certain critics who think, you know, the director, I think it's Andrew Patterson, uh, who's going to go on to things, you know, like I, I, I am down to see his next movie, but like, you got to have a better script for me because Vast and I, I don't know why people are lining up to praise this thing. It was fine. It was fine. That's as best as I can go. Um, which brings us to the big release of The King of Staten Island, which hits uh, VOD tomorrow from Universal. It is from director Judd Apatow, written by Pete Davidson and uh, SNL writer Dave Sirius. And it was good. I, I mean, Judd Apatow's best film in a decade. What are we... I, no, it's not Judd Apatow's best movie in a decade. It's probably Judd Apatow's worst film, I think. But that doesn't mean it's bad. Like, you know, Pete, I've been, I've been hyping this movie, and I had a good feeling about it, and I think I was right. Like, Pete Davidson did a good job. He was very watchable. Uh, he quits himself nicely as a movie star. The problem is that Judd, this is not really a Judd Apatow comedy, the way you and I know. It's not just stoners thinking, you know, sitting around making jokes about each other. Um, there is something a little bit heavier going on in this movie. It is a dramedy. And it deserves credit for that. But Judd asked Pete to do some things that are out of his range a little bit. I mean, everybody, every anchor has a range. Um, except for Meryl Streep, whose range is just endless. It just keeps going. Uh, you know, she, she can play anything. But Pete Davidson, there's a cap on his talents, on his abilities. And, and there's just a couple times where Judd asked him to stretch and he can't quite get to the place. Uh, whether it's, you know, a place of anger or sadness or whatever. Um, but, but again, like, you know, kudos to Pete, because I think this is, he's taking a big step here to be the lead in an Apatow movie. Uh, and and he, he does a decent job. You know, he's surrounded by a, a really solid supporting cast. Um, I thought Bill Burr was great. I hope he gets a ton more work off of this. Marissa Tomei, was good. Bell Powley was good. I liked uh, Pete Davidson's friends in this movie. Like, and, and I, yeah, and I love the firefighting guys. Steve, Steve Buscemi, who's an actual volunteer firefighter, is one of uh, Bill Burr's firefighting co-workers. It's just, um, you know, at, at two hours and 17 minutes, and I know Judd was talking about how, you know, he, he's aware of the criticisms, uh, but he wanted to go longer with this one. Judd, I love you. I love, I love you. You gotta make these movies shorter. Two hours and 17 minutes is ridiculous. The, the, it presents pacing issues. Like, I'm not one of these people that needs rules. Like, every comedy, every good comedy needs to be under two hours. But, like, if you can't tell this story in even two hours and five minutes or two hours and ten minutes, like, to do 217, you need a, you need another editor. You need a better editor. You need just someone else who's weighing in because this really could have been a better film than it was. It's, it's a little shaggy. It's a little unfocused. Uh, but I, I, you know, still, still recommending it. Absolutely. It's, it's probably the best thing I've seen in, you know, a month or whatever. Um, I think that does it for everything like I've, I've seen and watched. Uh, I, I saw 7,500, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie. I am under embargo, but if you read my trailer right up from yesterday, I think you'll get a sense of where I stand on that movie. And uh, what else? Yeah, that, 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 that's pretty much it for the movies. 
You know what it's time for? Tenet, Tenet, Tenet Watch. Let's check in on Tenet. What is the deal? What What is happening? Uh, this movie is still on the calendar for July 17th. Movie theaters are just starting to open up right now. Although, well, I guess they're, you know, they, they're allowed to open up. It's not that the movie, the movie theaters are just, you know, you, you don't just flick, flick a switch and you're open for business. They got to reorder all the, the concessions and stuff. They got to train the staff on all the new safety precautions. They probably got to hire more staff because you're going to need people cleaning the theaters, uh, you know, very well in, in between screenings. I, I still would not be caught within, you know, hundred yards of, of a movie theater. Like it just, it seems crazy right now that states are, are reopening and, and uh, encouraging people to go to the theaters and stuff. And I feel like, you know, the people who we've heard encourage us to go back to theaters, they all have a vested interest in things. They're theater owners or it's NATO or, you know, filmmakers, you know, who, whose, whose salaries depend on uh, the box office gross. And, but it's just, I don't, I don't see how people can be in a rush to go to theaters again, uh, right now anyways. Like, wouldn't you just at least, like, let your buddies go, and then if they're healthy in two weeks, then, then check it out? Everyone's going to want to go to early showings because, you know, the theaters are going to get either deep cleaned overnight, late at night, or, you know, first thing in the morning. I'd want to be, you know, there for those 10 a.m. showings because by the time you're, you're going to a midnight showing or even a 7 or 9 o'clock showing, people have been sitting in those seats all day, like, I don't know if they're going to get the same deep clean that they would, uh, you know, when you don't have another screening sort of giving you a deadline that's, that's staring down on you. We've heard from, from NATO that 90% of, of theaters worldwide are, are going to be open or something like that, or mar- global markets. Like, none of this shit makes sense to me. Because NATO oversees U.S. theaters. So, like, I, you know, I just don't know how NATO is so in the know on, on all the international theaters uh, I mean, every theater is like a case-by-case basis, isn't it? It's, it all depends on, on state regulations and things like that. 90% seems high to me. Meanwhile, you're going to open these theaters in major cities at, at 50% capacity at most. A lot of places like California are talking about a 25% capacity. So, that, you know, I, I, you should read my article on Collider about the 90% of theaters opening worldwide because I really do dig in, into the math of it, but you know, you, it doesn't cost a theater. You can't, a theater is still going to have to pay a hundred percent of, you know, what it costs to operate a theater. They're still going to have to pop the popcorn and, and do that kind of stuff. And who knows if they're going to be selling nearly as much popcorn. Who's good. Like that's where theaters make their money concessions. No one's going to be want to be eating or drinking, taking their mask off to, to enjoy those concessions. So, you know, theaters are already taking a hit off the bat. If you have 25% capacity, Okay, you program Tenet in a dozen theaters instead of just four or six theaters like normal because, you know, there's no, there will be no other competition. But you're st- you, you still got to run the bulbs and, and the sound system for, you know, all 12 of those theaters. And in each of those theaters, there's only 25% capacity. So I just, I don't see how the math works. I, I don't know, is like, is it better to have a theater and keep it closed so you don't have anything coming in? Or is it better to have a theater and open it so that you have money coming in, but you also have a ton of money going out because you got to pay staff and electric bills and all this stuff. Um, it's, it's, I don't understand how you're supposed to even sit there in the theater and enjoy Tenet and give yourself over to this movie when the whole time you know you're thinking, am I, am I getting sick right now? What was that? Did, did somebody just cough behind me? 
uh, you know, a, a million other things. Or I got to be careful where I put my hands on the seat. Or I got to wear gloves. Or just, it's just, it's crazy. And and I know Frosty agrees with me. And I, and I, and I from what I gather on, on just like film Twitter, like every, I don't see a website that's arguing for going back to movies. Everything that I'm reading is people should not be going back. And, and and believe me, no one loves movies more than the people who spend their lives writing about them. Okay, I've devoted my life to talking and writing about movies, as has Frosty and all these other webmasters and bloggers. And it's like we all are like we we're all dying to go back, but we don't literally want to die to to go back to theaters. Like it's just not worth it. No one movie is worth the risk and it is a risk and i know every day we take risks we get into our car we drive to work that's a risk but uh, this just seems different to me and especially in the wake of you know the protests and again i i wrote this too i wholeheartedly support all the protests going on right now and if and it, and if this is what it takes to affect long-term change in the country then by all means let's do it but you, you can't ignore the basic science of all these people are now in the streets. They're all in close proximity to each other. And they may all very well be wearing masks, but people are, are bumping into each other, that kind of stuff. It's just inevitable. It is science. As, as we can see in the numbers now, the, number, the COVID numbers are rising throughout a whole bunch of states. And that, that is a direct result of the protests. And so that's going to set the reopening back. Like I can't, I don't know why all these states are reopening after all, like after we all just like totally threw all the, the quarantine and social distancing protocols out the window. I think this is like the worst time to be reopening because we need to see, you know, how infection rates go up and, and things like that after these protests. Like I've, I've read in Los Angeles that the R number is already going up. Um, you know, watching the local news here in Boston, you, you see things rising. So it just seems very, very dangerous right now. And, and I just don't like the game of chicken that, that Warner Brothers and Nolan are playing uh, with, the, with, the, with theaters and, and the American public. Like, I get that theaters, like AMC posted $2.2 billion loss, and that's in a quarter. And so they may not survive the summer if there is no tenant or no Wonder Woman. I get that, but like... I don't really, I care more about, you know, my fellow human beings surviving than, than movie theaters. Uh, and that, I, I didn't think I'd, I just, I can't believe we're even like having this conversation. Like if theaters have to die so that people can stay alive, then I think that that's what needs to be done. Um, I, I don't know why theaters, is it just the rent? Is it just that the land, like the landlords are demanding money? I, I don't, it's wild out there. I think everyone has to make their own personal decision. They have to respect the decisions that other people are making too. You know, I, I witnessed a, a fight between, you know, one party who wanted to wear a mask and, and the other party who was like, I'm not wearing a mask. And, you know, there's friction. I, I do believe though, that like if someone in your party does want masks to be worn, it's the least thing we can do. It's the smallest, you know, most basic common courtesy that we can give our neighbors is to put on a mask. I, I don't uh, think that our civil liberties are being, you know, stomped on by uh, requiring us to wear one or, or anything like that. So yeah, the idea that like Cinemark isn't requiring people to wear masks, like that's, that's nuts. I mean, 
masks at movie theaters should be given out for free. They should have branding for whatever movie you want to see. Imagine like a, a tenant mask, like, you know, and then everywhere, and then you can wear it out after the movie theater, and then you're a walking billboard for the movie. So I hope that if Tenet does open on July 17th, that people, that, that, that theaters offer free masks and studios should take the opportunity to brand those masks with the movies. Um, do I think it's going to happen? No. I, I still think it's going to get delayed, even if it's delayed by a month and takes over the Wonder Woman slot. Frankly, I think Wonder Woman should be the movie that, that, that Warner Brothers leads with first because it's a four-quadrant title. You know, no one, not even the cast, knows what the hell Tenet is about. And as psyched as I am to see it and to uncover that mystery, what, what do we think that this movie was going to open to? 60 or 80 million tops? I didn't, never really felt like a $100 million opener to me. So at 25% capacity, and that's capacity. You know it's not going to sell out. There's still going to be plenty of people who don't want to go to movies. Um, I think you're looking at like 10, 20% of theater of, of each screening being full. And so if you do the numbers on 10, 20% of 60 to million, $80 million opening, you're looking at a six to $12 million opening for tenant. What's the point? Even if you were to double it, even if you're open to 18 to 20 million, what's the point? Seems like just save it. Tenet, by the way, not going. It's not even the first studio movie coming out. Uh, Sony, you know, tr- trumpeting its brilliance. The Broken Hearts Gallery has moved ahead of Tenet. It's going to come out in between Tenet and Unhinged. Unhinged isn't from a major studio, granted. Uh, Broken Hearts Gallery from uh, Natalie Krinsky, I believe, with Geraldine Biswin Nathan and uh, and Dacre Montgomery from Stranger Things. I like that pairing. I love Geraldine. I think she's a total friggin' movie star. Like she's just a champ. She's a former up and comer of the month uh, that I made a. Uh, that I interviewed over a tracking board back in the day. But like, this is just like, it's like a dump that, that, that they're just, you know, using for for PR purposes. Like you should have seen the release, like the first stu- big major studio movie of the summer. Like, I don't know if you can count a Geraldine Biswin Nathan movie called Broken Hearts Gallery. Like, I, I know it's from a major studio from Sony, but it's really not in the same ballpark as, as Tenet. Uh, so I just love these studios who will go to any length to make it look like an event or some sort of special thing. It's ridiculous. Uh, Netflix. I just read this today because uh, James Samuel, the director, signed with Verve. The, the budget on The Harder They Fall is $90 million, the Western that they're making with Idris Elba and Jonathan Majors. I, I'm looking forward to this project. It's got a great, uh, I think it's like an all, pretty much all-black cast. Jay-Z is doing the music. They're, they were about to shoot in New Mexico uh, when, when COVID hit. But $90 million? The same budget as Bright for a, for a Western with Idris Elba? Again, mind-boggling. Some of the decisions, may, I guess maybe with a Jay-Z, with original music from Jay-Z, you know, that could get people to tune in. Maybe it's simple as, you know, we, we want to make a film with, with, with a, we want to empower this black filmer, uh, black filmmaker and, and this all black cast and give them the budget that we would, you know, David Ayer or, and Will Smith or, you know, whatever on bright, but I'm just, I'm just, I was very, that was an eye opener, 90 million. I wonder if that's with all like the, the buyouts of Idris Elba and, and people like that. Cause you know, Netflix has to uh, buy out the back ends again, just surprising. Elizabeth Moss signing on to this uh, run rabbit run, project that's going to uh, reteam her with the director of The Handmaid's Tale. 
sounded, you know, like a can market type of thing. Um, not an invisible man level, uh, movie. I don't know. She, she's got weird taste that, that Elizabeth Moss, um, Magic Johnson has a new documentary in the works. Wrote about that this morning. I love Magic Johnson. Like I grew up a bird fan being in Boston, but Magic Johnson has really become one of my personal heroes in the last decade. Uh, just the way that he has fought valiantly, uh, to, you know, uh, for, for AIDS and HIV. Um, and he's really helped destigmatize that, that disease. Uh, I applied to Imagine Impact, Brian Grazer and Ron Howard's screenwriting incubator with a, a project called Cookie that, was, that would have been about his wife, Cookie Johnson, and told Magic Story through his wife's eyes. Uh, they were they were college sweethearts at like Michigan State. She stuck by him, you know. Like, like I think they called off their engagement a couple of times. She stuck by him through through the diagnosis. Like I think that she, you know, she's an incredible woman, and and unfortunately she will always sort of be in magic shadow. And that is why I wanted to tell her story. Um, it was rejected, but uh, I, I hope that one day somebody tells her story, and I hope that we that she gets some significant screen time in this Magic Johnson documentary because, you know, they, they are very much a, a team. Um, yeah, I was talking with, I was, I'm rewatching the, the last dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, which, you know, if you haven't seen that on ESPN yet, get to it. And my dad was asking like, when do you think they'll do a Larry Bird thing like this? And I was like, I think Larry's going to have to wait. Magic is definitely next up. And, and then I could see Bill Russell and Will Chamberlain being next, maybe something uh, about the two of those guys together. Um, Cops and Live PD got canceled by Paramount Network and A&E. Not surprising. I mean, shit, we're at a point in this country where we're talking about, uh, you know, re- recasting the lead on Paw Patrol. It's, it's very bizarre. You know, I, I had to educate myself this week about the defund the police effort, uh, which, you know, d- does not quite mean what it sounds like. Uh, and I think to older folks, maybe people like, like Dad, that, you know, they think just like we're going to get rid of police forces. Like, that's not the case. You know, there are a lot of good police out there. Um, you know, there's a lot of times we're in trouble or in an accident and someone, you know, calls 911 and, and the cops are the first people on the scene. Uh, and I, you know, personally know plenty of, of good cops, you know, growing up in a, in a small, off, you know, a small suburb of Boston where there's very little crime. But that said, you know, the, the sentiment in this country towards, towards police is obviously very negative. And networks are being very sensitive to that. And they're getting rid of a lot of cop programming. You know, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I feel like Law and Order SVU will return. You know, those, those are very different kinds of cops. But will we see something like The Shield? Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know if The Shield would, would get made in this kind of environment. But again, those are scripted sorts of things Seeing real cops, you know, chase people around, I, I could see how that would be kind of traumatizing and just ill-suited for this particular moment. So I'm not surprised that, that uh, these networks got rid of cops and, and live PD. And really, how many, how, like, cops has been the same show for 25 years. Like, maybe make some room for, for something else on the schedule. Uh, what else? Scott, it's been a crazy week. Crazy two weeks. J.K. Rowling sticking her foot in her mouth with all sorts of transphobic comments absolutely disgusting like and she tried to explain herself the other day with this long blog post i i did my best to to read most of it but it it was just so full of like bullshit 
like just I don't know why listen I, I plan on leaving social media pretty soon uh, I think I've been uh, upfront about that I don't know why JK Rowling doesn't just leave you've got billions of dollars just go live your life I don't know why why do all these billionaires why do they insist on hanging around why does Jeffrey Katzenberg insist on building Quibi just go retire and enjoy your billions of dollars like I know for them it's it's about the power uh Listen, if I ever make millions of dollars in this business, whether it's a hundred million or five million, I'm gone. I'm just like I don't just <laughs> I will disappear. I promise. Um, yeah, just discussing stuff from J.K. Rowling. God, what a what a week in publishing, and it's a little it is a little scary out there in the publishing world. I'm not a fan of you know the Twitter mob. I, I've, I've obviously been the victim of Twitter mobs, and they come after you because they don't like your opinion or they don't like the way that you phrase something. You use the wrong word. It, it is crazy out there. But some of these examples, you know, the, the New York Times opinion editor, uh, you know, ran a some, horrible Tom Cotton op-ed, and listen, there may be a place for that op-ed somewhere. I don't know if it's necessarily the New York Times. But for the editor to say, well, I didn't read that piece. What not that your whole job? Particularly on a really sensitive, you know, political thing like that. Like, doesn't that get flagged up, you know, brought up the flagpole from whoever did read that piece? Like, did anybody read it? Or did they just publish it because it's from a senator? Like, um, yeah. If you're not reading the shit that's going up on your website, I have no sympathy for you. Um and I, again, you know, I, I have worked for the rap twice, have a lot of respect for, for Sharon Waxman, but the rap uh, last week posted this Holly blog, you know, talking about um, the woman who shot the George Floyd video. And I understand that I could see an article like comparing that tape to the Zapruder tape uh, or her to Zapruder. Um, but the way that this article, this Holly blog, as it were, written by a communication specialist, no less, uh, talked about, like, the craft of the video. And it was just, it was fucking preposterous. It was like, what world are we living in where some editor is going to think this is okay to publish? And so I know, I don't think Sharon read it. Uh, I think that her, that the RAPS executive editor, Tom Geyer, who I do not have kind things to say uh, about, uh, I think that he read it. This is the second time, at least, you know, uh, that, that Holly blogs have come back to bite the rap in the ass. I remember they did one from Richard Steller uh, in defense of Bill Cosby. I don't think I need to explain the problems with that. In defense of Bill Cosby is probably not a headline that should be on your website. Uh, and Sharon, you know, issued an apology. I remember reading it when I was a staff, because I was at the rap at that time in 2014. And, you know, it was an apology about how I'm going to read the Holly blogs more closely and that kind of thing. And we got the same empty apology uh, this week from, from the rap again. It's just like, are the Holly blogs driving that many clicks? You know, is it that much of a content farm that you have to keep it in the background? Get rid of them. Like, Sharon, this was such a great moment for the rap to assert itself at the table with Variety reeling after Claudia Eller that whole incident, which I'll talk about in a second. And the Hollywood Reporter losing Matt Bellany and Deadline being Deadline. Like, the rap was like, for a day or so, the one good trade. And then they just, it's just crazy. 
And, uh, and, and uh, you know, I was actually encouraged uh, seeing someone like Trey Williams, their young uh, film reporter over there, um, you know, take, take, take the bosses to task because it's just, it's fucking unacceptable. Same with, with Bon Appetit. Like, this guy, okay, he, he wore blackface 12 years ago. I'm not someone who thinks, like, well, you did this 12 years ago. You deserve to, to lose your job now. But, like, it's not just about that, obviously, uh, terrible photo that's in, you know, showed really poor judgment. It's about all the stories that came out of the woodwork from Bon Appetit contributors and how, you know, they don't want to write about black food or ethnic food. And, and it's just, like... Is, is this really going on at some of these publications? Like, who are the white staffers who are allowing this to happen? Um, yeah, some of those stories coming out of Bon Appetit were crazy. The Claudia Eller stuff was, was wild. Like, I've obviously put my foot in my mouth on Twitter a bunch of times, but reading, like, what Claudia, Claudia's back and forth with Pia, it was like, Oh my God, how could the editor in chief be this tone deaf and not be able to read the room and get into this conversation with, with Pia at this time? And, and I, I will say that, you know, Claudia, she has done a lot, like in terms of diversity. Like that newsroom is definitely more diverse than when I was there. It was Lily White when I was there. Um, and just the scope of coverage that Variety has done it has definitely uh, sh- shown a light on. LGBTQ issues on uh, issues of, of inequality, race, all kinds of stuff. So like, I think, you know, she, she was doing her job editorially. Maybe she didn't go about it the right way. And certainly, you know, you can't condone this uh, Twitter exchange with, with Pia. I don't know what will ultimately happen with Claudia. I think it may be tough for her to come back and, and lead that newsroom. I don't know if she'll accept another position or simply, you know, uh, retire or, or find another outlet. I think she's a really talented, accomplished journalist, and, and I'm sorry this happened to her. But, you know, if there are consequences for me, you know, there should be consequences for everybody. Um, and, you know, I, I think Jay Pansy handled it as well as could be, ex- as, uh, as well as could be expected. Um, we also saw Leah Michelle more or less canceled this week from all, all you know, treating, years of treating her, uh, her co-stars terribly. Hartley Sawyer, an actor on The Flash, never heard of him. Don't watch The Flash. Don't care. Got fired for a bunch of racist tweets from his past. Like, man, if if I ever got like an, an acting job that's paying me tens of thousands dollar of dollars an episode, believe me, I, I would pay a firm to just wipe my my social media or something. Like, I don't understand these tweets coming back to to bite people in the ass. Like, don't you know? I guess I don't know all 100,000 tweets that, that I put out there. And, and, uh, but like, I know I would never have some of the thoughts that went through this Harley Sawyer's kid's mind, no matter how old he was at the time. I mean, shit. I went to NYU. Like I had, I lived in an eight person suite sophomore year and, uh, five of those, uh, five of my seven roommates were gay. Um, I, you know, made a, I, and maybe that's maybe that's my privilege speaking. Maybe going to NYU, this melting pot, pot full of diversity, uh, maybe that prepared me better for for this moment or something. But uh, yeah, the, the the lack of tolerance that that I see just every day on on Twitter, whether it's from celebrities and, and people you know that that you and I follow, or just, it really is it's astounding, and, and it has been eye, an eye opening uh, month or two. Um, 
DC Daily got canceled, unfortunately. I had a lot of good friends on that show. Had to break that news. Uh, yeah, I just don't think that the eyeballs were there. It seemed like a low-budget show to produce. Like, they couldn't have been putting that much money into it. I'd heard that, you know, a, a whole season of, of DC Daily costs about this, about the cost of an episode of Titans or whatever. Um, but, yeah, it just never – I never heard anybody talking about DC Daily. They were sort of just stumping – for the DC brand, you couldn't really be too critical about it since they're your employers. And I think there's a lot to be critical about with, with regards to DC. I, I just, I'm, I'm not a fan of, of those kinds of shows where like a studio is paying you to say nice things about its product. Uh, I'm, I, I know everybody worked hard and, and poured their hearts and souls into it. And they did a lot of, you know, they, they shone a light on LGBTQ issues and characters. And they had a lot of good interviews and, and people uh, come into the studio and stuff like that. But yeah, at the at the end of the day, it's it's not journalism. It's it's a show for fans, by fans, and I just don't know. I don't believe in that model. Um, yeah, Apatow uh, talked about a George Carlin documentary that he's going to be working on. By the way, Apatow's uh, best movie of the last ten years was his documentary on Gary Shandling, The Zen Diaries. So I'm super encouraged for this George Carlin documentary. He was, you know, way ahead of his time, was a big free speech, uh, you know, First Amendment guy. Uh, you know, he did the seven dirty words bit that you, you can't say on television. Um, he's just always been this, a, a provocateur, a brilliant philosopher. I'm looking forward to seeing how uh, Apatow and his partner, Michael Bonfiglio, put together this George Carlin documentary. Uh, Dakota Johnson signing on to do an Amazon comedy series, Rodeo Queens. Sounded... I don't know if it's the type of show I'll watch, but, you know, reading up on Rodeo Queens and, and what they do and, and how, you know, a mockumentary-style comedy, I, I can see how that would work, particularly with Dakota Johnson, who I, I do really like. I find her uh, very charming and engaging. I really liked her appearance on Jimmy Kimmel. I guess she lives next door to him, and he interviewed her as, as from you know as one neighbor to another. Timor Beckmambatov doing five more movies, at least with Universal, that were just, like, unfriended. It's using that screen life technology I mean, that's to be expected, uh, given, given the moment that we're in with production being shut down. You can make those movies remotely. You know, as Timor said, you have an actor in Sydney, Australia, an actor in London, England. You know, he's in Los Angeles, and it all can be done over the computer. So another smart move by Donna Langley, uh, ordering up more movies like that, uh, you know, just to fill the pipeline. Let's just hope that, you know, they have good scripts. Uh, Unfriended was okay. I forget. Dark Web was maybe a little a step down in quality, but if you can come up with the right script, they don't all have to be like stupid horror movies. Uh, Timor talked about wanting to do movies in, in a whole bunch of different genres, including romantic comedies and stuff like that. Netflix launched a Black Lives Matter collection. Uh, kudos to Netflix for that. Uh, there's still some, you know, I never seen the thir- uh, 13th, the uh, Ava DuVernay documentary. So there, there's definitely some stuff. Yeah. LA 92. I, I don't think I ever saw that from John Ridley. Is that John? No, I don't know if that was John Ridley. No, no, no. This is uh, T.J. Martin and, and the uh, the other guy who did the football documentary with him. But either way, um, I, 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 that has been on the list for a while. La ninety two thirteenth. So you know, it's helpful to have all these things sort of in in one place. And it, it is time, you know, for us all to to start educating ourselves. Um, 
I'm really looking forward to, to Defy Bloods. I've had the screener all week. I just haven't had two and a half hours to carve out to watch it. Uh, but I am looking forward to watching the Spike Lee movie this weekend. Victoria Mahoney signing up to do Paramount's Kill Em All. She was the, the first woman of color directing a Star Wars movie. She did the uh, second unit on Rise of the Skywalker. So it's nice to see her, you know, getting the call up from, from the big leagues, so to speak. Um, and it's like, you're, you're on a Star Wars movie. I don't, there is no bigger league necessarily, but uh, yeah, this Paramount movie sounded interesting. Jake Gyllenhaal doing a, a graphic novel adaptation of Snowblind he's going to star in. It's about a boy who, who comes to realize that his family's in the witness protection program. It sounded a bit like Nightcrawler meets, uh, what was it? Running, running on empty, running, I forget what it was, but uh, it was a River Phoenix movie. And that uh, actually sounded pretty interesting. Um, Cobra Kai, leaving YouTube. It's going to be moving to Netflix or Hulu. I, I hope that comes with a bigger budget for the show. I like the episodes that I saw on YouTube. Um, it seemed like it was kind of like their biggest breakout hit, uh, although maybe that's just because, you know, I'm uh, on Twitter all the time and, and The Karate Kid it was, you know, is it it a big, beloved movie amongst uh, film Twitter, so maybe it just got more coverage uh, than, than its eyeballs dictated. But uh, it seems like a smart play for Netflix or Hulu to get into that show, which comes with a, a you know, a, a solid fan base. Uh, Ryan Gosling. I don't think we talked about the Wolfman movie that was announced last week. This is something I've been tracking for a long time that uh, Jason Blum's wife, uh, Lauren Shuker Blum and uh, Rebecca Angelo, writers on Orange is the New Black, were working on a monster movie that would star Ryan Gosling. I did not know that it was going to be the Wolfman, nor did I know that it was described as like network meets Nightcrawler. It sounds like he's going to be a news anchor who gets infected and perhaps even undergoes a, a, a or begins to undergo a transformation in front of the camera. Um, but I like that take. I, I, I dig Ryan Gosling making a, a Wolfman movie. Uh, I This is interesting to me. I, I dig it. I dig it. I am curious to see who they end up getting to direct. The The word on the street was that Corey Finley was being eyed. He did Thoroughbreds and Bad Education. And I don't know, you know, really what is in those movies that would give Universal the idea that he'd be right for a Wolfman movie. Um, but are there worse choices? Like Bad Education is one of the best movies I've seen all year. So I don't know. Corey Finley gets the benefit of the doubt from me. Palm Springs, the Andy Samberg movie, is going to be coming to Hulu this summer. This is uh, Hulu and Neon had jointly acquired it in what was believed to be the biggest uh, Sundance deal ever at the time. Now it's going to skip theaters and just go uh, straight on Hulu and then drive drive-ins, I guess. Um, you know, drive-ins can only drive so much business. Uh, I spent almost all day yesterday just re-watching that uh, Dear Sister SNL sketch with Samberg. I, I, I miss his gigantic feathered hair. I like Sandberg. I'm, I'm, I'm a Sandberg guy. I've heard good things about Palm Springs. I don't want to ruin the twist. Maybe don't read too much about it. I think it's definitely out there. And, and that the, I've heard the movie plays better if you don't know what it really is going in. Um, but yeah, that's one more thing to look forward to this summer. And then Aquafine and Karen Gillan, yeah, signing on to this project, Shelley. I don't know if I, if that was on the podcast either last time, but I, I like the premise that Aquafina was like a, this girl in high school who was bullied a lot. She grows up to just have ice running through her veins and become a, a, an awesome assassin. Then she gets a, she finds out that her, her latest contract is her high school bully, Karen Gillan. 
And then Karen Gillan, when she goes to like kill her, uh, when Aquafina goes to Karen Gillan to kill her, Karen Gillan sort of befriends her and, and brings her into the A crowd that Aquafina had always wanted to be a part of. And since the contract hasn't been fulfilled, whoever took it out hires more people to come after Karen Gillan and Aquafina has to uh, defend them. So it's, it's like Mean Girls meets Barry and that sounds like a hit. That's a, that's, that's a great premise. I'm, I'm into it. Um, what else? You know, I, I did, you know, just with, with uh, production starting to, to go back, we've, we've heard about things heading back into production in July and August. You know, we, I know we've heard Mission Impossible, you know, that, that Tom Cruise is going to be doing something. But Tom Cruise is a different case because, frankly, the whole Scientology thing. And, and they have certain beliefs about illness. And, uh, you know, if Tom Cruise thinks he's protected by, by Xenu. Let's say it was, I don't know, Brad Pitt starring in Mission Impossible. Would those movies still be starting back up or would Brad Pitt be like, eh, I don't know if I want to do this? The, like I've said, I just don't see why rich, mega wealthy stars are in a rush to to go back to production because they are the ones who are unprotected. They can't wear masks or gloves on camera. There's a zillion people working on the makeups and the costumes. And everybody's just touching them and around them. I, I don't see what the upside is. And and you know, here's where what I think. Like uh, there was a story yesterday on ESPN, that the NBA, you know, the NBA is, is going to resume play in July. They're going to Orlando. Everybody's going to be quarantined. But there was a story that said sources, uh, NBA, certain NBA players don't want to return. And I suspect that those are the stars, the stars who have $100 million in the bank or who make $20 million a season, why would they want to go back and risk their lives to play basketball? I know there's, well, it's not much of a risk. They're going to be in quarantine. Come on. Everything is a risk at this point. So I wonder if it is the stars, you know, the, those mystery, mystery players who are not identified, I suspect that they are the major stars and that it's the, the scrubs, the people, you know, making 500,000, a million, two million scrubs uh, a season. They're the people who want to go get back to work. And I fear it's going to be the same way in Hollywood where just like, you know, your average actor, yeah, they want to get back out there. But if you're Mark Wahlberg, what is the upside to it? There just isn't any. Uh, wanted to give a shout out to Mondo for some puzzles. I ordered these. They were kind enough. I uh, ordered them like two months ago. I thought I was going to be doing them in LA. Now I'm back in Boston. They were great, gracious enough to send them to me here. Uh, so not gifts, but Home Alone puzzle, a thousand pieces. This is one of, by the way, if you ever want to get me a gift, guys, pull your money. This is the DKNG poster for Home Alone. I wanted to buy it last year. It was like three or 400 bucks. I ended up not doing it. Now it's like $1,000. This is like the number one poster that I don't own that I would love. The other one, I would never buy this poster in a million years. This is not my style of art, but for a puzzle, I'll do it. Die Hard. That is a very cool puzzle that I am looking forward to doing. So thanks, Mondo. Thanks to uh, Lights Camera Barstool for having me on the Lights Camera Pod. We uh, we did some fun trivia. Me and Johnny Roca uh, teamed up against two of their best, Ken Jack and, and R.A., and it was one of the best trivia matches I've ever been a part of. I don't think we knew what we were getting into. It had a photo finish, so definitely check that out over on the Lights Camera Barstool YouTube page. Shout out to my buddy Josh Bard celebrating a birthday today. He's 36, the younger of all, youngest of all my high school guys, an ESPN employee. 
uh, and, and a loyal supporter of my writing over the years, make sure to check out, uh, if you don't already, you know, watch Around the Horn, check out The Prompt, great web, uh, independent website. Um, what else, what else, what else? We're going to get to the mailbag questions because we, uh, I got about 15 minutes left. I did want to plug my, my best Steve Carell movies list. I went with 40 year old virgin at number one guys, because, you know, other than the office, I think that's what he's going to be remembered for. I think that, you know, the clip of the, the chest waxing, that's going to be in comedy highlight reels until the end of time. Then it was, uh, Anchorman, you know, his, his brick is pretty memorable, beautiful boy, which flattened me i know a lot of people didn't like beautiful boy don't trust those people on movies beautiful boy is excellent uh then i went fox catcher and little miss sunshine steve carell's been in some some real good things they just uh, haven't come this year it, it certainly wasn't the netflix series space force and uh yeah hate, hate to break it to you but it, it's not the john stewart movie irresistible coming out uh, a week or two or whatever um anything else is there anything else I'm doing another one of those top 10 lists too for uh, my boy, Joseph Gordon-Levitt at the end of the month. And it's been interesting going through his filmography and uh, yeah, it's a less clear cut 10 than it was for, for for Steve Carell. Um, I think that'll do it. I think we're just going to take some mailbag questions to wrap up the show here. Ed Douglas, my buddy says, can I maybe go one week without a rant about how Tenet won't come out in a little over a month? That's my question. Uh, clearly, I could not do it, Ed. Sorry. Matthew Farelli, did you see, do you see any further delays to WB films other than Tenet, Wonder Woman 84, and Malignant, the, the James Wan movie? Films like The Witches, Conjuring 3, Godzilla vs. Kong have had no marketing, so I'm unsure if they will get their official dates to be pushed. Here's my prediction, Matthew, and I said this in our, in our uh, company Slack a couple days ago. I am uh, anticipating a gigantic Warner Brothers calendar push. I think they're going to just rip up the calendar and just redo it, uh, you know, now that they have a better idea of, of you know, what, what just the, the, the overall calendar is going to look like. Um, so, yeah, I, I think everything is going to be moving. Everything is going to shuffle. Sean Nicholson, our studio is going to continue to produce mega budget blockbusters in the wake of COVID, or will we see a return of more mid-range budget? I think it is the latter. I think there are going to be more mid-range things. Uh, I don't think studios are going to want to, you know, be on the hook for hundreds of millions of dollars. How, how do you make those movies without being certain that, that people will return to theaters in full force? I think that they will be smarter with their budgets. Um, so yeah, I, I do think it is a good time to be a mid-budget movie, you know, because if people are that desperate to go out to theaters, then that's what they will go see. You know, if they're that desperate to return, they'll they'll see what you give them. Um, and it won't just be, well, I'm saving, uh, you know, because next month is, is the new DC movie, because there's no guarantee that, that, you know, it will come out in, in a month. Uh, any on any updates on when we're going to be able to watch Promising Young Woman? Haven't heard anything. No, it's been radio silence from Focus. Although I think that if they were planning to put it on VOD, they already they either would have done it by now or they would announce that intention. I think that they really that that will end up going to theaters, even if they have to hold it over. Uh, Eyal Shakar, who do I think will replace Daniel Craig in Bond, or who would I like to? I have no idea. I haven't really been thinking about that. Uh, I don't, I don't know that the bond producers have been thinking about that. I think they just kind of need to get through no time to die and then we can turn our attention to it. Um, you know, I really liked Richard Madden and the bodyguard. I think a bisexual bond would actually be kind of interesting. 
Uh, I feel like bisexual bisexuality kind of gets the shaft in, in Hollywood. Like you're either you're either gay or you're straight. People keep, audiences can't wrap their heads around both. You, you like both, I don't, but uh, I, so I would like to see some more bi characters and, and some more major, like you know, well known bi characters. And, and Bond isn't a bad place to start. I, I gotta say. Kyle Hudson, I watched Network last summer, and I think it's the greatest film of all time. Where would Network rank for you, and what, in your opinion, are the three to five greatest films ever made? Uh, I, you know, I think One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and, and Sounds of the Lambs, two of the three movies to sweep the Oscars, are two of the three best movies ever made, uh, you know, up there with Goodfellas, Pulp Fiction. Um, Network is, is good. Uh, it's just not one that I go back to all that often. You know, it's probably one of the... the hundred greatest movies ever made sure um but yeah i don't i don't know it would, it would be my favorite i checked out defending jacob after you recommended this from john hayek would love to know your thoughts on the finale i didn't love it as much as the first seven but still admired its intention uh, i really like the the finale i hadn't read the book so you know i wasn't expecting anything i don't know where the finale would necessarily lead me there were a couple notes that that rang a little false in the finale um but on, on the whole those last two episodes had me on the edge of my seat because it really could have gone either way. End of line. Any word on what Gore Verbinski is working on? He's been quiet since Cure for Wellness. Always appreciate his weirdness on screen. Also, since theaters are basically hitting the reset button, what practice would you like to see them take on to improve the overall experience? I mean, I'm, I'm fine with theaters. I'm not one of these people who, who like, you know, I, I, I like the Twitter layout or the Facebook layout. Keep it. Keep it forever. I don't understand why people are constantly tweaking and trying to improve because some of those improvements, it just it takes a while to get used to them. And uh, so I don't think that theaters really need to do anything to improve the experience. You know, maybe more ushers watching, you know, the way that Arclight or Landmark does or, or you know, I've never been to an Alamo draft house, but someone to ensure that, like, there's not shit going on in the theater, that people aren't talking, people aren't on their phones. Because that's annoying. That's what I do like about going to so many press screenings. I have no idea what Gore Verbinski is working on. He's been rumored for a whole bunch of projects, but it seems like wishful thinking. Um, oh, God. A few more minutes. Paul Cree, Streaming Wars. Who's going to win? Most households will have two to three at a guess. Amazon Prime, 100% number one, as it's the only service you get something else. Disney Plus, number two, a must if you have kids. Uh you know, what is number three? I think Netflix is still number one. I realize you're not getting free shipping with Netflix, but until Amazon Prime, you know, I'm, I'm barely, I barely am on Amazon Prime as far as watching stuff. Like, you know, maybe they have one good show a month and it takes a few days to watch it. Maybe occasionally they have a good movie like 7,500 coming up, but there's no question that I'm just on Netflix way more. There's way more Netflix subscribers uh, so I go Netflix, Amazon Prime, Hulu until Disney Plus shows me something else. I mean, that, that's just a library and The Mandalorian for right now. I know there's, they're going to have all the Marvel shows and stuff like that. But from what I watch, because I don't have cable, so I'm watching a lot of network shows on Hulu, you know, when they come on the next day, th- those are my top three. Uh, Paige, did I watch Defending Jacob on Apple TV? I've already talked about that. Have I watched Dark yet? Jordan Kaminsky. I watched the first season of Dark on Netflix. I liked it. I admired it, but I didn't love it. I started watching episode two, and it was just like, yeah, this is too confusing and convoluted. Uh, so I never finished season two. I do have a friend who just finished season two, loved it, and is like, you know, pumped for season three. So you know, I'm, I'm toying with maybe going back 
and finishing two to do three. But it also, it's a lot. It's a, it's a lot. It's like a meal of a show. Alex Tornay, will movie theaters adjust ticket pricing? Yes, I absolutely think so. I think it's, I think the, the, the ticket prices are going to come down in an effort to get people to come back. And, and again, this is another thing, like, if you're a movie theater, why do that? You know, it's, it's just one more lower revenue stream. But I think that in order to get people back in theaters and, and because you need like a little test case, you need some guinea pigs to show the, the public at large that it is safe. Yes, I think that you will see ticket prices come down. They were already ridiculous. I mean, in, in L.A., I'm paying $17 to go to a, a movie. It's absurd. Uh, Steven Jacobit, do you think Tenet can be considered a financial success if it keeps its opening, seeing as it'll be the only new theatrical release? Uh, no, I don't think Tenet is going to end up – I mean, unless they delay it like a year, uh, I don't think Tenet is going to end up being a financial success. I mean, depends what is a success in their eyes. Certainly, you know, advertising it less and less, it seems like I'm not hearing about too many TV ads. So maybe they're keeping the marketing spend in, in line. Um, of course, a lot of money has already been spent. So, yeah, I, I, don't see, I don't see a world where Tenet comes out this year and makes as much money as everybody thought it would and could. Any tea of PTA's new film, Saggy Bottom Casting Rumors? No, nothing. I, I hadn't, uh, there were some names that I'd been tracking um, like er, early on. Let me, let me see if I can even find some of those names. One second, one second for you guys. So I had heard some interesting stuff. Right, 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 right. The rumor was like either Harrison Ford or Clooney playing like a, an old school Hollywood producer or something like that. Um, yeah, those rumors did not pan out, but it also could have been early. You know, PTA maybe had never even gone to them with an offer or anything. So maybe that's why they hadn't heard of it. But those were the names that I had heard. Uh, Mike Gibson, I don't have a question. I just say, despite me being a huge uh, superhero Star Wars fan and disagreeing with a lot of what you say, Dave, I'm uh, probably my favorite film reporter and reviewer, and I'm great at my job. Thank you, Mike Gibson. Thomas Drufke, did I ever get into The Leftovers? I can see it being a show you loved or despised. Yeah, I watched the first episode, and, and just it was just too dark and bleak. Uh, no, Leftovers was not for me. And then F Society, ZWJ. Jeff, I think kind of think it's principled to inquire at this point, do I enjoy the filmography of, this, of Zack Snyder? I do. I do. Um, yeah, I really liked Watchmen. I liked Dawn of the Dead. Uh, I did not care for, you know, maybe the DC stuff, but... Yeah, I, I I really liked Watchmen, um, and, and I and I you know respect Zack Snyder's aesthetic. I wasn't a sucker punch guy either, but yeah, Dawn of the Dead, Watchmen, he he's he's capable of doing some interesting work, and I'm looking forward to uh, to Army of the Dead um, over on Netflix. Although I don't yeah, I don't know if that's coming out later this year or, or next. I think that's a 2021 movie. Um, I think we'll wrap it up there, folks. Uh, thank you very much for tuning in to today's episode of the Snyder Cut. If you can, uh, follow me on, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Cameo. I, I, I do great Cameos. i got a lot of time to work on them now. Um, but if you don't want to order a Cameo, make it, maybe make a donation to Black Lives Matter or you know any, any organization that benefits people maybe trans people, whatever it is, whatever your thing is, uh, now is the time to, uh, 
to be heard and to help with our wallets. So that'll do it for me, guys. Stay safe out there. Wear your mask. Be healthy. Have fun. Try to enjoy the summer. I know it's a tough time for everybody. And I will see you next week on the Snyder Cut. Hello, Chico Pitbull, Mr. 305, better said Mr. Worldwide, and I'm here to tell you about my new podcast, From Negative to Positive, brought to you by my friends over at State Farm. I believe that to have success, you got to play the game, so that the game doesn't play you. You know, the biggest risk you take is not taking one. It's very important that you make sure that you make the most out of your money, especially when it comes to insurance. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates. They have great agents standing by helping you personalize your coverage. All this is backed up by award-winning, easy-to-use technology. It's a great price with an even greater service. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. This holiday season, it's all about the bedroom. And Casper's Black Friday sale has up to 30% off everything you need to make your bedroom your happy place. Only Casper mattresses are made with 86 supportive gel pods to align your spine and eliminate aches and pains. And Casper bed frames are made from the highest quality materials. Give the gift of a better bedroom. Save up to 30% during Casper's Black Friday sale on now at Casper.com. Terms and conditions apply. See Casper.com slash terms for more details.